Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. In this passage and in the next couple of passages, we're going to take a look at Thomas and his kind of natural disposition. But right off the bat, we can take a few notes about who Thomas was and a few lessons from him. First of all, we notice that Thomas was a twin. When it says in verse number 16, then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, that means that he was a twin. Didymus meaning there was two. He was a twin. And uh, so we know that Thomas had a twin, a brother or sister, we don't know which, but he had a twin sibling, which means that these two siblings had the same parents. They were born at the same time. They grew up in the same family. They had the same financial difficulties or privileges. They had the same opportunities. They had the same genetic makeup even, which is interesting because one of them, Thomas, chose to follow Jesus, but the other did not, which tells us this that whether you follow God is up to you. It's your choice. Following Jesus is less about your circumstances and more about the choices that you make. Because right off the bat, Thomas had a sibling. He had a twin, born at the same time, grew up in the same family, all situations as identical as could be. One of them chose to follow Jesus, but the other did not. Which tells us that whether we follow Jesus, whether we listen to Jesus, whether we obey Jesus, is about our choice. So right off the bat, we know that Thomas made a decision to follow Jesus that his sibling did not, his twin sibling did not. The second thing that we note about Thomas is that he was naturally, his disposition, his character, his just natural personality was a little bit pessimistic. Is a little bit on the maybe negative side, if you could put it that way. In verse number 16, he says, Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus unto his fellow disciples, Let us go also. All right, let us go also. Sounds a little optimistic. Sounds like, all right, let's go. But then you read the next word and he says, That we may die with him. <laughs> Boy, Thomas, really, you, gotta, you really have a great way of putting things. I mean, if you just kind of imagine the way that Thomas said it, you could almost hear the, the down kind of intonation of his voice. Let us go also that we may die with him. You know, I mean, you could almost hear him saying that. You could almost hear him. Here is Jesus saying, let us go. And Thomas kind of in the back, you know, where maybe Judas was over there too. And, you know, there's some disciples over there. All right, well... Let us go also. All right, that's what he said. Okay, let's do it. Let's go. We're going to die. Let us, we may as well die with him over there. And, you know, you could kind of sense the pessimism that was there. And he, he has a nickname that many have given to him, and the name has stuck because in many ways it's true. Uh, his nickname that others have coined through the years is Downing Thomas. Doubting Thomas. That, that name is, is uh, appropriate because uh, later on we'll take a look at the passage, but Jesus has risen from the dead. The disciples, the other disciples, see Jesus and they say, Oh, Jesus is alive. But Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas is told that Jesus is alive and he says, I will not believe. I will not believe it. And eight days later we see that Jesus appears again to Thomas and he believes. And it was in that time period that we see, ah, Thomas doubted what Jesus had said, what the disciples had said, what was the truth. 
And, and so we can kind of see that Thomas is naturally a little bit of a doubtful kind of a person, a little bit of a pessimistic kind of a person, a little bit of a, I don't think that's going to work kind of person. You ever know those kind of people? You know, you say, all right, we're going to try that. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> all right, let's try this. Well, I'm not so sure. I don't see how that's going to work. I don't know. Thomas was that kind of person. Thomas was that kind of person that was a little bit like he was there. The interesting thing about Thomas was he was faithful. He was there because there were many opportunities for him to drop off along the way. Jesus had more than just the 12 disciples. He had many other disciples. And the Bible records times when many of the disciples, they went away. Thomas, though, did not. Thomas, though, was there. He stayed. He was faithful. But he didn't seem very happy about it. <laughs> he was steadfast, but not exactly smiling, right? If we take a look at the, that passage where we just read, all right, let us go also, that we may die also with him. I don't see him with a smile on his face saying those things, you know? I kind of see him with that little, you know, skeptical look in the eye, you know, and the little, that facial expression that says, oh, you don't really believe me, do you? That, that seems to be Thomas. Not only that, we notice that pessimism has a tendency to spread. In verse number 16, when we read, let us go also that we may die with him, he's not saying that to Jesus. Who is he saying that to? He's saying that unto the other disciples. You know, he's not saying, Jesus, I don't think we should really do this. You know what he's saying? He's like saying to the other disciples, all right, you know, we're, you know we're going to die when we go over there, right? You know, when we go to Judea, we're going to die because the Pharisees have wanted to kill Jesus. And so he's thinking, all right, the Pharisees uh, want to kill Jesus, so he's going to die. Lazarus is dead. All right, we're, we may as well die as well. So you can kind of sense the negative outlook of Thomas. You can see that pessimism, that doubtful spirit and how it has a tendency to spread. But on the other hand, we also see that he was faithful. He was there just about every single time, except for the one time he wasn't there, which we'll take a look at later, which is interesting. He was there, but not exactly enthusiastic about being there. He was here, but not happy. He was here, but not exactly smiling or excited or joyful. You see, Christian living is about more than just your duty. I know we talk about faithfulness, but there's more to the Christian life than just being faithful. God wants you to be joyful in your faithfulness. God wants you to be happy while you are here. God wants the best for you. God wants you to be blessed. Psalm chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in God's word, God's commands, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. See, that's the desire of God for his people, to be faithful, to be dedicated to the word of God, but also to be joyful, to have success, to prosper. In the Old Testament, we know about King Solomon and the greatness of his kingdom, the greatness of uh, the empire and greatness of everything that he had. And uh, others on the outside would have heard about this wonderful kingdom that was there in Israel. 
They would have heard about the king. They would have heard about all of these things going on. And one of those individuals was the Queen of Sheba. She had heard rumors about this King Solomon. She had heard rumors about the kingdom. She had heard rumors about uh, this place and these people. So she had to go see for herself. And she went and saw for herself and gave Solomon many hard questions. She came up with the hardest questions she could possibly come up with. And at the end, she had to conclude in 1 Kings chapter 10, she said to the king it is a true report that i heard in my own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom she said everything that i told uh, i was told was true Howbeit, i believe not the words until i came and mine eyes had seen it and behold the half was not told me thy wisdom and prosperity exceeded the fame which i heard it didn't the words that i received were not even the things that i saw they undersold king solomon and the kingdom and the prosperity but what's interesting that stood out to queen sheba was in verse number eight happy are thy men solomon you have a great kingdom because I could see that your people are happy. Not only that, happy are these thy servants. Happy are these people that have no free autonomy. They are told by the king or those in authority what to do, and they're happy about it. They're happy every day to serve you, to be in your court, which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loveth Israel forever. Therefore made he thee king to do judgment and justice. Queen Sheba said, you know what? I know that your kingdom is great. I know that you are great. I know that your God is great because your people are happy. Now, here is Thomas looking at a situation, thinking, all right, Lazarus is dead. The Pharisees want to kill Jesus. We're going into Judea. They'll probably kill Jesus, and they'll probably kill us as well. If you're looking into a situation like that, it might be a little bit difficult for you also to be happy, to be positive, to be optimistic about what God has chosen for you. But God doesn't want miserable followers. He wants happy, joyful disciples of himself. Now, how can we put those two things together? Knowing that God wants us to be joyful, while at the same time looking at some things and thinking, how can I be happy about this? How can I be happy about that? Well, I want to take a look at a few different places where we really see, it's interesting, Thomas, in the four passages we're going to take a look at, all four of them seem to be in some way and shape related to the resurrection. All four of the passages we're going to take a look at have something to do with resurrection, which tells me that you might not see the prospect of what we're looking at or what, what God might see that we, why we should be happy but the resurrection teaches us to trust God. And if we trust God, we can be joyful. All right, that's the lesson. If we remember the resurrection, then we can trust God. And if we can trust God, we can be joyful. So though Thomas doubted, we see that Jesus and his resurrection teaches us to trust God when our prospect looks dim. So to give you some background on John chapter number 11, there's a wonderful family that lives in Bethany. 
Uh, there are three siblings there, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. If you're familiar with your Bibles, you'll probably know the names, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus is sick, and the sisters send a messenger to Jesus saying, Behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. So they send a message up to Jesus. Jesus is told that Lazarus is ill uh, with the intent of the, the sisters want Jesus to come and to heal Lazarus. Uh, Jesus lingers a couple of more days before he goes in to Judea. This is the passage that we're reading right here. Now, in verse number seven, it says, Then after that he saith to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Uh, the disciples recognize the, the political situation is they want to kill you, Jesus, and you want to go back there? Verse number 14, Jesus tells them the reason. Lazarus is dead, and he's going to do something about it. And we read Thomas's response. Let us go also that we may die with him. So Jesus tells the disciples, Lazarus is dead, and we're going over there. Thomas thinks, well, Lazarus is dead. They want to kill Jesus. Jesus will die, and we will die too. So not exactly a positive outlook. Thomas could not see how this was going to end well. He could not figure out a situation in which, okay, Lazarus is dead. Jesus is going into the place where they want to kill him, and we are the closest followers of Jesus, how in the world is this possibly going to end well? In verse number 15, though, in between these verses that we read, we see Jesus's uh, 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 words and kind of an explanation of his perspective on what is about to happen. He says in verse 15, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. So Jesus, in going into Judea, is glad. Thomas, though, is not glad. He's the farthest from glad. So here is Jesus going into a situation, and he is delighted. He is thinking, oh, disciples, oh, I'm so excited to go into Judea. And the disciples think, we're doomed. <laughs> we have no chance. I mean, we're dead. Jesus, I'm glad that you're happy, but we're dead. That's what they're thinking. So Jesus is going with delight. Thomas is going with dread. You ever feel that way? You know that God is telling you, this is what I want you to do. And you're thinking, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. Right? You might think, oh, I don't know how this is going to end well. I don't see how this is the best thing for us. Jesus is going with delight. Thomas is going with dread. What's the difference here? The difference here is Jesus knows how it's going to end. Thomas does not. Thomas doesn't know how it's going to end. He thinks it's going to end with his death. Jesus knows it's going to end with a resurrection. Not only will the disciples not die, not only will Jesus not die, Lazarus, who is dead, will be made undead. He will be made alive. So Jesus is going thinking, oh, this is great. We're going to go into Judea and Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead. Thomas is thinking, oh, we're going to die. It's the end that matters. It's the end that matters. You might have your favorite sports team that's down at halftime, but it doesn't matter if they're down at halftime if they win in the end. It's the end score that matters. 
it's how the end result happens that matters most. Sometimes you see, you know, you have your sports teams and sometimes your team is down a little bit. And sometimes what happens at the end is you see the fans starting to leave, right? The hometown fans, they start to leave. This is the end, there's no way, you know? And I remember one time there was a really big uh, NBA game. It was in the finals and, and uh, one team was down, you know, a couple of points, you know, with like, you know, 30 seconds left in the game. And they're like, oh, I don't wanna see the end. I know how it's gonna turn out and they left. Well, they were on their smartphones and they got notifications. The game is going into overtime. What? What happened? They tried to get back in. They couldn't get in. There are videos and, you know, pictures of these people trying to get back into the game. And, and uh, you know, sometimes we can jump to the conclusion that we know how it's going to end when we don't know how it's going to end. And Jesus here knows how it's going to end. He knows that it will end with a resurrection. He knows that it will end with the resurrection of Lazarus. Not just for Lazarus, though, Jesus knows how your life is going to end. Did you know also that you know how your life is going to end as well? Did you know that you will end in a resurrection? Did you know that? You're going to be taken to heaven. You're going to be brought back to be with the Lord. Uh, you know, our whole life that we're all focused on is the middle. It's just the middle. But God has told us, I'm not going to tell you what happens in the middle, but I'll tell you what happens in the end. I'll tell you the final score. You know, I've had uh, instances where, you know, and I don't know why sports fans are like this, but we love nostalgia. We love watching these old games and, you know, when our team won the Super Bowl or when our team won the World Series, you know, the championship. We love to go back and watch those games, you know. And, uh, so, you know, they're... Uh, I'm from Seattle, you know, I just came back from Seattle, my family's in Seattle, and you know, I'm a big Seattle sports fan, and so there was one year when we won the Super Bowl, it was a great year, and sometimes just, you know, for whatever reason, I'll think, you know what, that was, those were good days, those were good days, and I'll go on YouTube, and I'll Google it up, and I'll watch the highlights, and I'll think, ah, oh, those are great days. If you go on YouTube, you know how sometimes there's like suggestions on the side? You know, these are other videos that you might like, one of those videos is sometimes the next Super Bowl, which for me is not a happy day because our Seattle Seahawks were in that Super Bowl, but we lost. We lost the Super Bowl. Now, we had some great plays in the middle. We had some great things in the middle, but I know the final score, so I don't wanna watch it. <laughs> I'm not interested in reliving those. You know why? Because I know how it ends. I know it ends with a loss for my team, and I don't wanna relive that. But the day in which we were winning, oh, that's great. I love watching those. You know what Jesus is telling us? I'm telling you how it ends. You might think, God, we're down by a lot right now. God, things are really tough right now. God, I don't know how it's going to end positively. And God is telling you, I know the final score. I know how it ends. It's going to end with your resurrection. It's going to end with you in heaven. It's going to end with you, with Jesus, for all of eternity. It's going to end with a glorified body. It's going to end with sin that is gone forever and ever. It's going to end with you walking on streets of gold. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Hey, we're going to heaven. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You know what Paul is saying? You might be going through some tough times right now, but let me tell you how it all ends. 
It's going to end with Jesus ruling and reigning. Jesus is going to come to get us. Hey, let's comfort one another with those words. Hey, maybe you're going through a tough time. Jesus wants to remind you, I know how it ends. I know where you'll end up. So let's stay with the Lord. Let's be faithful. And let's not think, oh, it's doom and gloom out there. Let's think God is the God of the resurrection. We will win in the end. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24, then come to the end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. This is what happens in the end. This is how Jesus rules in the end. That's why we don't have to be worried about what happens in the middle. See, Thomas at the beginning of John 11 is thinking, oh, I don't know how this is going to work out. At the end of John 11, I wonder what he was thinking. Oh, Lazarus is alive. He was raised again from the dead. This is incredible. I wonder that difference in disposition that was there. So though Thomas doubted, Jesus and the resurrection teaches us to trust God even when our prospects look dim. Also, when our pathway looks dark. John chapter 14, you're there in John 11. Turn a couple chapters over, John chapter number 14, verse number 1. Verse number 1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. There's a great verse that's there. Don't be troubled. Don't be down. Be joyful. Be hopeful. Be optimistic. Why? Because we put our trust in God. Because we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so... I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? So Jesus is telling the disciples, there are mansions in heaven that I will prepare for you. We sing a song about mansions, you know? It's a wonderful song. Now, I don't know about you, but mansions sound pretty good. I would love to have a mansion. Love to have streets of gold. That sounds like a wonderful thing. And Thomas thinks, that sounds wonderful too. But how do I get there? You ever wonder that? You ever look at the Bible and think, that sounds great. But how do I get that? You ever wonder that? Oh, God says that we could have peace. That sounds great. I would love to have peace that passeth all understanding. I would love to have that kind of peace when I'm fearful, when, when circumstances come my way, when financial difficulties come that way. I would love to have it. How do I get it, though? I don't, I, I don't know how to get it. Uh, uh, maybe you're thinking about, uh, uh, you know, wisdom. You've got some tough decisions in your life. You've got some difficult things that you, you've got to make some decisions. And you've got to make decisions that you know that's the decision and whatever it is that we got to move forward from there i better make the right decision here maybe it's about a job maybe it's about a marriage maybe it's about some relationships it could be about all sorts of different things your finances you say you know what god i know that you have wisdom i would love to have some of that wisdom how do i get it though how, how do i make the right decision in my life here you know we're, we're talking about joy it's it's easy to talk about joy but Nobody ever says, be joyful, you know? 
You ever look at a you know, crying child? Be happy. <laughs> right? they, they might try to put a smile on their face, but you know, there's no happiness on the inside. They're still crying on the inside, you know? It, it sounds easy. It sounds simple. And we all want these things, right? We want wisdom. We want peace. We want joy. We want all of the things of the Bible. We want love. We want these things. But how do I get it? Thomas is wondering the same thing, too. Thomas is thinking about, well, how, how do I get this mansion that you're talking about that sounds so great and wonderful? What's interesting is Jesus, even in this passage, said, I will come again and receive you unto myself. You know what Jesus is saying is, what he's saying is in verse number six. Verse number six, John 14, verse number six says what? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, we use this verse, and I use this verse, in salvation. There are no other ways to heaven but Jesus Christ. You're not getting saved from your sins without Jesus Christ. You're not getting saved from your sins by your works, by going to church, by giving money, by trying to be a good person, by joining some religion. There are not many ways to heaven. There are not many ways to God. There are not many ways to the Father. There's one way. There's only one way, and that way is Jesus Christ. And we use this verse to say, you want the mansions in heaven? After you die, you want to make sure that you're going to heaven? Trust in Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the truth, and he is the life. Amen? Right? There's only one way. Jesus is that way. Now, after we get saved, there's a lot of other things. There are people who are saved who are not joyful, not faithful, not loving, not forgiving. All of the things that we know that Christians are supposed to do, sometimes they are not those things. Sometimes we are not those things. How do we get there? How do we get the peace, the love, the joy, the forgiveness Jesus saith unto them, I am the way. You want peace? You know where peace comes from? It comes from Jesus Christ. You want to know where joy comes from? It comes from Jesus Christ. It, it, it doesn't come from, you know, I'm going to just try to do my best and do it in my strength and do all of these things. No. In the same way that we are saved by putting our trust in Jesus Christ, we receive joy when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. When we trust in the Lord. And ver, uh, Go back to verse number one. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God believe also in me. So we see that Jesus and the resurrection teaches us to trust him even when our pathway looks dark. When we think, I don't know how to get there, teaches us it's by the Lord. The third thing that we see is that Jesus and the resurrection teaches us to trust Christ, to, tr to trust God when our possibility looks dead. John chapter number 20, verse number 19. I alluded to this earlier. In verse number 19, the Bible says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples, uh, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had said, uh, so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. So once again, here is Jesus after he has been uh, crucified, he was buried, he rose again, he shows himself to the disciples. When they realize the resurrection, they are glad, they are joyful. But one of these disciples wasn't there. It was Thomas. We don't know where he was. We don't know why he wasn't there that day, but for whatever reason, he wasn't there. 
which is a great lesson. You never know what you'll miss out when you miss, <laughs> when you're not there. You never know. Jesus didn't pre-announce, I'm going to show up to you all on this day at this meeting. He just rose again from the dead in the morning, and that night he showed himself. But for whatever reason, Thomas wasn't there. And the disciples, they go to Thomas and they tell him, Jesus is alive. Verse 25, the other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. So Thomas says, essentially, I don't see how that's possible. You tell me Jesus is alive. I don't believe it. I don't believe that that's possible. For eight days straight, this continued on. The disciples affirming Jesus is alive. Thomas saying, you say he's alive. I won't believe it until I see it with my own eyes. Until I put my hand into his side. Until I see the nail scars in his hands. I will not believe. Day after day. Monday. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the disciples are texting him, hey, Thomas, Jesus is alive. And Thomas says, no way, I told you, I don't believe it, you know, and maybe a thumbs down, or I don't know what he was doing, you know. You know, he's saying, I don't believe it. I don't believe you. There's no way that's possible. That's not possible. Verse 26, after eight days, again, his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them. I don't know why Thomas was here this time, but not the last time, but he was there this time. Maybe they were saying, hey, you, you know, at these meetings, you know, sometimes Jesus appears, <laughs> you know, maybe you should come to the meeting and you might see Jesus. Anyway, Thomas is there. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and, and, and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. So here is Thomas on the day of the resurrection. He's missing from the meeting. The other disciples see the Lord and they are glad. For the next eight days, they are glad while Thomas is sad. He's down. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know where to go. He doesn't know, oh, what have I been doing with my life these last three years? For eight days, one group is happy and the other is not. One group is joyful, one is not. The reality is the same, though. Jesus is alive. Jesus has risen from the dead. The reality is the same. But one, believing, is joyful. The other, doubting, they're kind of depressed. They're kind of in denial. See, the resurrection is evidence that God could do anything. God could do anything. Do you believe that? Yes. Do you believe God could do anything? Do you believe God could heal your sicknesses? Do you believe God could help you with your financial situation? Do you believe that God could restore a relationship? Do you believe that God could restore a marriage? Do you believe that God could help you with your relationship with your children? That your child could 
grow up and be saved and live for God? Do you believe that that lost coworker that you've been witnessing to for years and years and years, that, that they could be saved? All of those things are possible with God, amen? You know how he proved it? He rose again from the dead. He rose again from the dead. Now, we've all seen relationships restored and all of these things. None of us has seen anybody rise again from the dead. Jesus did that, though. Jesus' resurrection shows anything is possible. That's why we can be joyful. Amen? Amen? Now, we may not see God actually do it. God may have a bigger plan, a better way. We don't know all that is in the will of God, but we know that God could do it. That's why we should be joyful. Amen? Amen. Uh, God could do it. God could save that uh, you know, financial situation. God could save that marriage. God could restore these relationships. God could do anything. Mark chapter 10, verse 27, and Jesus looking unto them saith, with men it is impossible. The things that you think, uh, there's no way we could do that. But not with God, for with God all things are possible. Fourthly and lastly, we see that though Thomas doubted, Jesus and the resurrection teaches us to trust God when our perseverance looks done. John chapter number 20. At the end of John chapter number 20, I want you to take a look at verse number 30. John chapter number 20, and in verse number 30, the Bible says, And many other uh, signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. So John is telling us, all right, these are the things that are written, and I'm going to tell you why I wrote them, or why God inspired these words. But these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that believing ye might have life through his name. John is saying, I have written all of these words so that people would be saved. Are you saved today? We're here taking a look at the Bible because if you're lost, you need to be saved. You might have grown up going to church. You might have a testimony, I prayed to God. But either you're saved or you're not. Either you're a child of God or you are not. Either you have your sins to be forgiven or they are not. Either you are on your way to heaven or you are not. There's, there, there is, there's no others. You can say, oh, I prayed a lot. That's great. Are you saved? Are you born again? Are you a child of God? Oh, I had a moment where somebody showed me the gospel and I, I, I prayed a prayer. That's great. Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins in Christ and Christ alone? Are you born again? That's the important thing. And, and John is saying, this is why I wrote this book. Now, if you have your Bible open there, you'll notice the book of John doesn't end with chapter number 20. He says this at the end of chapter 20, and then there's a chapter 21. <laughs> He's like, all right, I wrote all of these things so that you would be saved. Now, let me, let me go on to another thing. After these things, after these things, wait, what, what is there after? Isn't salvation the most important thing? It is, amen? John has spent 20 chapters saying, I've written these things. God wants you to know these things so that you will be saved. After you are saved, though, there's something else. Amen? Amen? After you're saved, there's something for you to do. Follow Jesus. Obey the Lord. Serve him. Glorify him. There's more to being a Christian than just being saved. Amen? We are called to be servants of God. We are the sons of God. We are the light of the world. We have something to do. After these things... Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter, 
and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Uh, Simon Peter sa uh, saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. This passage is a little bit incredulous, right? Because here are the disciples. They have seen Jesus rise again from the dead. All of the other disciples, and now Thomas. Thomas bows himself before Jesus and said, My Lord and my God. Chapter 21, though, begins with Peter saying, I'm going fishing, and all of these others go with him. All right. There's some speculation that Thomas was also a fisherman. That's why he's listed here. It's, it's a, there's some, you know, uh, so he may have been a fisherman. He may not have been a fisherman. But either way, the idea is that these seven disciples, they said, we can't do it anymore. We're going back. We're going back. They had been following Jesus, but now they're going back. When you first get saved, it's exciting. Amen. Do you remember when you first got saved? Do you remember what it was like to have spiritual life? Remember how different everything was? When, when you're dead and then you're alive, things are different, amen? It's different. I remember when I got saved, I got saved on the second day of the month of July, and I, I got saved way late at night. I remember waking up in the morning, I went out to my car, we were at a campsite, and so I went out to my car and read the Bible, and I was like, well, I don't know where I'm supposed to read, but sometimes people read uh, the proverb of the month, you know, or the proverb of the day, you know, every day of the month, and so it was the 3rd, July 3rd, so I thought, well, I'll just open my Bible to Proverbs chapter 3. So Proverbs chapter 3 is a special uh, chapter to me because it was the very first verses I read when I was saved. So I read Proverbs chapter 3, and I, you know, I, my intention was to read the whatever 30 verses or so that are in Proverbs chapter 8. I didn't make it that far. I made it about eight verses in, and I realized, whoa, this Bible is amazing. <laughs> wow, there's great things in this Bible. Wow, this is for me. Wow, this is great. This is wonderful. I remember reading that and thinking, oh, this Bible. Wow, this is a book. <laughs> I want to read this book. It was exciting. It was great. It was wonderful. And when you get started in something, it can be exciting. It can be, wow, this is great and wonderful. After you get into it for a little while, maybe you've gone through some difficulties, you've gone through some trials, you get a little tired. You know what I'm saying? You ever been there? You ever been tired? Even tired in ministry, tired in doing good things. These disciples were doing good things. They were. They were following the Lord. They were serving others. They were serving the Lord. They were doing all of these things. But it seems like they got tired. You know, Hebrews chapter 12 describes the Christian life as a race. Some of you like running, but I presume that most of you don't, <laughs> right? But some of you may like running, okay? Now, if I were to say, all right, how many of us could run 100 feet? Probably every one of us could say, yeah, I could run 100 feet, no problem. Now, if I were to say, let's all run a mile, we might lose a few, right? <laughs> we might lose a few. I, 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 can't, I can't do a mile, right? But some of you, maybe you're runners, you would say, mile, no problem, easy. Five miles, no problem. But then you start getting to 10 miles, and it's like, oh, I'm getting a little tired. It doesn't matter how good of a runner you are, at some point, everybody hits their limit, and they get tired. 
At some point, everybody gets to their limit and says, I can't take another step forward. It may be 10 miles, it might be 20 miles, it might be 30 miles. Somewhere, every single one of us says, you know what, I'm so tired, I don't think I could take another step. But then the race isn't over. Until you're with Jesus in heaven, your race isn't over. Amen? So here we are in the middle of a race, and you might think, I don't know if I could take another step forward. I don't know if I could do this another day. I don't know if I could do this another year. I don't know if I could do this for the rest of my life. I don't know how to do this. I don't think I could do this. You know what God is trying to tell us? He's trying to tell us, I know you can't do it. That's why I'm going to do it. That's why I'm going to do it. Sometimes it's tempting for us to stop following Jesus because we're tired, you know? Ah, I don't want to serve anymore because I'm tired. I don't want to teach anymore. I don't want to witness anymore because I can't take that rejection. I can't take the financial difficulties anymore. But Jesus and the res resurrection teaches us to trust God even when we are depleted, even when we feel we are empty, when we think we can't go anymore. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 8 says this, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of your trouble which came to us in Asia. So he's saying to the church at Corinth, I want you to know exactly what we were going through. That we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had that sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. You know what Paul here is saying? He's saying, a church at Corinth, I want you to know we were at the bottom. I mean, we, we despaired of life. We didn't even want to wake up the next day. That's how bad it was. He would wake up, see the sun shining in, and think about the day ahead with dread. I, that's, that's where he was at. But he says God taught us to not trust in ourselves, but to trust in God, and notice the phrasing, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. You know what, God, what, what Paul was saying? He was saying, God saved me from sin, and God is saving me from this death situation that I'm in, and I know that he could do it again. I know that he could empower me for the next day. I know that he could give me strength for another day. Paul is saying that if God could raise the dead, God could do anything in and through us. He can empower us for another day. He could deliver us for another day. He could protect us for another day. Jesus said in John chapter 15, I am the vine, ye are the branches. You know what he's saying? He's saying, for without me, ye can do nothing. But what he's also saying is through me, you can do anything. Through me, you can do anything. Through me, you can make it through another day. Through me, you could witness another time. Through me, you could serve another time. Through me, you could teach another lesson. If there's somebody here today that says, I don't know if I could do it anymore, Jesus is standing in the resurrection saying, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Not by your power, but by mine. So trust me, yield to me, follow me, obey me, and I will empower you to do the thing that I've called for you to do.